Welcome to Scripture Uncovered, a podcast on the Bible brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Now, time for the program. Here's your host, Dr. Bill Creasy. Hello, gang. Bill Creasy here with this week's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been exploring the women of the Bible. And we had a look at Eve, the mother of us all, and Sarah, Sarah, the mother of Isaac. In Genesis, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has the 12 sons who become the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's through those sons that God's plan of redemption will operate. At the end of Genesis, all 12 boys along with their families, 73 people in all, are down in Egypt with their brother Joseph, who had become the Grand Vizier or Prime Minister of Egypt. At the end of Genesis, Joseph dies and we turn the page, 400 years flash by, and that family has grown to a people of nearly two million, living in the land of Goshen. The land of Goshen, the northeastern portion of the Nile Delta on the Mediterranean. And they're a security threat to the powers that be now in Egypt. Well, we can't have that. So Pharaoh, king of Egypt, no one remembered Joseph any longer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, issued an order that all the male Israelite children, when they're born, be drowned in the Nile because male boys grow up to be fighters and we need to neutralize the Israelites' ability to fight. God raises up Moses. And in Exodus, Moses will lead the people out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, where God reaffirms his covenant with the people and gives them the law. From Exodus, we move to Leviticus, where we have much more detail about the law, and then to Numbers, where we spend 40 years, one generation, hardening the people in the wilderness. The entire first generation dies, except for Joshua and Caleb, and a whole new generation grows up. And at the end of Numbers, they're perched on the Jordan River, the east side of the Jordan River, ready to cross over and attack the land of Canaan. We turn the page to Deuteronomy, and Moses gives his farewell address. And from Deuteronomy, we turn over to Joshua. Joshua leads the fight. They cross the Jordan River miraculously, with the Jordan River stop flowing and piling up in the north as the Israelites cross over. And they begin the conquest at Jericho. All the way through Joshua, we have battle after battle after battle, the Israelites taking control of that land. Well, they don't really control it, they subdue it to some degree, but there's still significant pockets of resistance. But at the end of Joshua, we have the people in the land, the land allocated by tribe, clan, and family, and it's up to those tribes and clans to hold on to that land and develop the land. However, at the end of Joshua, Joshua dies, and we turn the page to Judges. And we read in Judges chapter 2 at verse 10. After that whole generation, the generation of Joshua, had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals. They forsook the Lord their God, of the, uh, the God of their fathers, who had brought them up out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods, people around them. 
They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and they served other gods. So once in the land, once the pioneer generation died off, a new generation forgot all about God. And of course, with a loose confederation of 12 tribes just barely holding on to the land, outside threats imposed upon them. And when they did, God would raise up a leader, a military leader, to deal with the threat. The 12 loose confederation of tribe, 12 tribes would coalesce and a leader would emerge. Let me give you an example of Ehud, the second leader. They're called judges. They're not judicial people. They're military leaders who deal with the threat. So here we have Ehud, chapter 3 at verse 12. Now once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Moab is east of the Jordan River and a bit south toward the Dead Sea. Now getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel and took possession of the city of Palms, that would be Jericho. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Well, finally, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjaminite. Now the Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a foot and a half long, which was strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who, importantly, was a very fat man. Now, after Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way the men who carried it. At the idols near Gilgal, he himself turned back. And Ehud said, I have a secret message for the king. So they led him into Eglon, the king. And the king said, Quiet, and all the attendants left. I want to speak privately. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his summer palace. And he said, I have a message from God for you. Really? The king rose from his seat. He leaned over to listen. Ehud reached with his left hand. So as they approach each other, a sign of peace as we shake hands today is to embrace the other person and kiss on either cheek. And that's what Ehud did. He reached out his right hand, put it around the head and neck of the king and kissed him on the cheek and then whispered in his ear. But while he was doing that, remember, he was a left-handed man, and he strapped the sword, the dagger, to his right thigh, the inside of his right thigh. So as he's embracing Eglon, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. He gutted the king. Even the handle sank in after the blade, which came out his back. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. 
Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. He then left. Now, after he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. And they thought, oh, he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the house. Better not go in. So they waited and waited to the point of embarrassment. But when he did not open the doors of the room, they finally took the keys and unlocked the room. And there they saw the king dead on the floor. While they waited, Ehud had gotten away. He passed by the idols, escaped to Syria, and when he arrived there, he blew the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills and with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab your enemy into your hands. So they followed him down and, taking possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab, they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not a man escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. Well, an example of a judge, Ehud, the left-handed judge. You know, in times of trouble, the tribes would coalesce, a leader would emerge. But things aren't the way they used to be, not the way they used to be at all. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Yabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hatsor. Hatsor is north of the Sea of Galilee, overlooking the Via Maris, the main international trade route. If you're traveling south on the main trade route, you pass by Hatsor. Hatsor controlled the international trade on that trade route. And the Via Maris then went around the Sea of Galilee south, across the Jezreel Valley, through the pass at Megiddo, which controlled the southern portion of the Via Maris, and then on down to Egypt. So, Yabin, king of Canaan, reigned in Hatsor. He controlled the international trade route. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. Now, because Yabin had 900 iron chariots, he had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, and they cried to the Lord for help. 900 iron chariots. That was the most advanced war technology of their day. It's like Yabin having 900 M1A Abrams tanks. Well, the Israelites cried out for help. And what should happen? The pattern we set up in Judges, the tribes coalesce, a leader emerges, and puts down the threat. So let's see, who would emerge? Oh, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. Now, wait a minute. This is a profoundly patriarchal culture. It's a profoundly patriarchal, tribal, Near Eastern culture. What is a woman doing leading the Israelites. She held court under the palm of Deborah near Ramah 
and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. We have seen nothing like this in Scripture up to this point. Now she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Yabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kaishan River, and give him into your hands. So Deborah is not only literally a judge, one who decides legal disputes among the Israelites, but she orders the commander of the army to go after Yabin. Barak said to her, flashing a hearty aye aye, sir. No, he didn't. Barak said to her, if, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. What? The commander of the army won't go after the enemy unless she goes with him? Deborah is disgusted. She said, very well, I will go with you. But because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah went with him. Now, Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zanamim, near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, now Mount Tabor is in the Jezreel Valley, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him and they went down to the Kaishan River. The Jezreel Valley sits in northern Israel of today. So imagine the Via Maris moving north up the coast, following the Mediterranean coastline, curving inward through the pass of Megiddo and out onto the open Jezreel Valley, and then up around the Sea of Galilee and on up to Damascus. The Jezreel Valley is a triangular-shaped valley surrounded, more or less, by mountains. The Kaishan River flows out of the mountains down through the valley. Now, Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim. And all the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. It is a great defeat. They rout the enemy. Now, how in the world did they do that? The Jezreel Valley? a triangular valley surrounded by mountains. We learn in the very next chapter in the great victory song that God brought a great storm. Rain poured down and the Jezreel Valley flooded. The valley turned to mud 
Well, Yalbin may have 900 iron chariots, but they're all stuck in the mud. What a great victory. But Sisera, their commander, fled on foot to the tent of Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. And because there were friendly relations between Yabin, king of Hatsor, and the clan of Heber the Kenite, that's where he went. Heber the Kenite, the Kenites were workers in metal. And Heber the Kenite deserted his own people and went to work for Yabin, king of Hatsor, because there was work there. 900 iron chariots need to be maintained. And Heber the Kenite is a metal worker. Well, Yael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Oh, come, my lord, come, come right in. Don't be afraid. He looks terrified. He's exhausted. He's covered in dirt and mud and blood. He's quaking in fear. Come, my lord, come in. He entered the tent and she put a covering over him. Here, come, please, lie down on the floor. And she put a blanket over him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. He lies down. He's covered with a blanket. She gives him milk, tucks him in, And he told her, if someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here, say no. What kind of commander is this? But Yael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. So here he is, sound asleep, covered with a nice blanket, having drank warm milk. And she came up beside him and knelt down, stroked his hair, placed the tent peg against his temple, and with that hammer, that mallet, went whack and drove the tent peg right through his skull into the ground. And he died, we're told. <laughs> I bet he did. Barak came in pursuit of Sisera, and Yael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I'll show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his skull, dead. On that day, God subdued Yabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Yabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. Now, at a time of national crisis, two women, Deborah and Yael, defeat Yabin, king of Hatsor, and his 900 iron chariots, commanded by his general Sisera. Two questions come to mind immediately. Why are two women the unlikely heroines of the story, and how do they pull off the victory? Well, there are five men in the story. Yabin, king of Hatsor, Sisera, 
Yavin's commanding general, Barak, Deborah's commanding general, Deborah's husband, Lapidoth, and Yael's husband, Heber the Kenite. And what do we know about each of them? Well, Yabin, although king of Hatsur, armed with 900 iron chariots, Yabin is a foil to Deborah and Yael. Sisera, although commanding general, Sisera flees from the battle, begs for protection from Yael, and curls up like a baby wrapped in a blanket after drinking a bottle of warm milk. Lapidoth, although Deborah's husband, he's missing in action. In Hebrew, Lapidoth is a feminine plural, meaning flames. Perhaps not Deborah's husband at all, but a description of Deborah's character, juxtaposed to Barak, whose name means lightning. Heber, the Kenite, is a descendant of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. But he's left his clan to work for Israel's enemies, exchanging loyalty for money. And Barak, although commanding general, Barak's name means lightning, but he refuses to fight Sisera unless Deborah comes with him to hold his hand. Conversely, Deborah and Yael are both strong characters. Deborah is both a judicial judge and a military judge, leading Israel during the 20-year occupation by Yabin, king of Hatsor. And Yael feigns innocent, innocence while luring Sisera to his gruesome death, the tent peg through the skull. In the highly patriarchal tribal culture of the Hebrew scriptures, it seems that Deborah and Yael stepped up to the plate because the men of their day had abdicated their responsibility as men. The men were a bunch of wimps, but Deborah and Yael, they were tough cookies. The story of Deborah and Yael ends with the song of Deborah, a 31-verse song that celebrates their victory. The song of Deborah consists of two stanzas, each with its own subsections, and it begins, On that day Deborah sang this song, and Barak, son of Abinoam, well, he did too. And here we have stanza one, the framing device up front, when uprising broke out in Israel, when the people rallied for duty, bless the Lord. And a proclamation, hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I will sing, I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the speaker is Deborah. We begin then with a contrast of times now with times past. In the old times, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the plains of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured rain, the mountains streamed before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. But now, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Yael, caravans ceased. Those who traveled the roads now traveled by roundabout paths, 
Gone was freedom beyond the walls, gone indeed from Israel. When I, Deborah, arose, when I arose, a mother in Israel. New gods were their choice. Then war was at the gates. No shield was to be found, no spear among 40,000 men in Israel. And the framing device, my heart is with the leaders of Israel, with the dedicated ones of the people. Bless the Lord. And then we move to stanza two, a proclamation. Those who ride on white donkeys, seated on saddle rugs, and those who travel the road, sing of them to the sounds of musicians at the wells. There they recount the just deeds of the Lord, his just deeds bringing freedom to Israel. Those who ride on white donkeys. The men had gotten soft. The men were riding white donkeys, not war horses. And we have a recounting of the story. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, strike up a song. Arise, Barak, take captive your captor, son of Abinoam. And now we have the heroes. Then down went Israel against the mighty. The army of the Lord went down for him against the warriors from Ephraim, their base in the valley. Behind you, Benjamin, among your troops, from Machir came down commanders, from Zebulun, wielders of the martial staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Issachar, faithful to Barak, in the valley they followed at his heels. But there were cowards oh, among the clans of Reuben. There were searchings of heart. Oh, I don't know if we should go. I don't think it's a good idea. Why did you stay beside your hearths, listening to the lowing of the herds? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Oh, I don't think we should go. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Why did Dan spend his time in ships? Asher remained along the shore, staying in his havens. Oh, but then the cowards stay behind. The heroes, the heroes, they fight. And here's the battle. Zebulun was a people who defied death. Naphtali, too, on the open heights. Kings came and fought. Then they fought those kings of Canaan at Tanak by the waters of Megiddo. No spoil of silver did they take. From the heavens the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The Wadi Kaishan swept them away. The Wadi overwhelmed them. The Wadi Kaishan. The whole valley, the whole Jezreel Valley flooded. And the hooves of the horses hammered. The galloping, galloping of steeds. Curse, Merzaz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse, curse its inhabitants, for they did not come when the Lord helped the help of the Lord against the warriors. These cowards stay behind too. But no, not Yael, not Deborah. Most blessed of women is Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed among tent-dwelling women, he asked for water. She gave him milk. In a princely bowl, she brought him curds. With her hand, she reached for the peg. With her right hand, the workman's hammer. She hammered Sisera, crushed his head. She smashed, pierced his temple. At her feet, he sank, fell, lay still. Down at her feet, he sank and fell. Where he sank, down there he fell, dead. The women of the enemy, from the window, they looked down. The mother of Sisera peered through the lattice. 
Oh, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why are the hoofbeats of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her princes answered. She even replies to herself, Oh, they must be dividing the spoil they took. A slave woman or two for each man, spoiled of dyed cloth for Sisera, spoil of ornate dyed cloth, a pair of ornate dyed claws for my neck in the spoil. Sisera is taking so long because he's plundering all the Israelites. And our conclusion, so perish all your enemies, O Lord, but may those who love you be like the sun rising in its might. And the land was at rest for 40 years. Why did Deborah and Yael fight the battle? because the men had abdicated their responsibility. And a strong woman, Deborah, rose and she took charge. Deborah and Yael. Defeat, defeat Yabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hatsor. Oh, that's a great story. So we've had three women, Eve, Sarah, and now Deborah. Wait till next time. I think we'll move up into the New Testament and have a look at some of our New Testament women. So thank you for being with me. I look forward to being with you again next week. Please keep me in your prayers if you would. I'll keep you in mind, and we'll see you in a week. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to Scripture Uncovered, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.